Hey, get your Bible and open up with me to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, take the one right there in the seat as our gift to you. We want everybody to have an open Bible. Luke uh, chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Uh, while you're turning there, uh, look at this image on the screen here. What, what does this image look like to you? Okay, this is not a psychological test. It's just, uh, just a question, all right? Uh, anybody? Anybody? All right, lesser than sign. Somebody, somebody said like an alligator. I don't know, maybe Pac-Man. Uh, how many musicians out here? How many, what, is, what does that look like to you? Accent. Accent. What else? Crescendo. That's right. Crescendo. Or I was told crescendo. Anyway, it's, it's an Italian word, uh, really, that, that means to grow. And let's put the definition up there. There we go. A gradual, a steady increase in loudness or intensity. Uh, so it's a musical uh, term that shows the music getting louder and more intense as it, as it grows, okay, till it finally reaches the peak. Now, you have heard of crescendos in, in pieces of music before, but I guarantee you, You've heard a crescendo when you go to the movies. Because every time you go to the movie, there's that THX uh, sound test. You know what I'm talking about? And it's a perfect illustration. Well, let me, let, let you just listen to it right here. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. That's a crescendo. It starts off small, it gets bigger and bigger till it finally fully develops, right? Uh, the thing about crescendos, though, is that you have to wait for them. You have to wait for them. They don't start off right at the bat. They grow and they grow until they're finally fully expressed. And uh, waiting is something we don't do very well. Uh, hands up if you don't like to wait very much. Just, I want to see where all my impatient people are today. All right, that's pretty much most of us, right? We don't, like, we don't like to wait for a movie to come out. We don't like to wait in the doctor's office. We don't like to wait at a light or for DoorDash or Netflix or anything. We don't like to wait for anything. We want it on what? On demand, right? On demand. We want it now. We want it immediately. And yet, and yet... Uh, waiting is something that God uses to grow us and to mature us. Waiting is something good, uh, good for us. In fact, uh, I was thinking about that this week. Psalm 130 verse 5 talks about it. It says, I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. The image is like a watchman in a tower. He's watching to make sure that no enemies come against it, but they're waiting, waiting all through the darkness of the night. He's waiting until the dawn finally comes up over the horizon. Now, think about that image. The coming of, the, of Jesus the Messiah was much like that. It was like a long crescendo. 
that started all the way back in the Old Testament, all the way back in the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, where there is a foreshadowed one who would crush Satan and who would cover us with our sin. And that, that melody begins to increase throughout the Torah and then throughout the Psalms and then increasing in intensity throughout these prophecies in the Old Testament till finally it comes to fruition uh, at the birth of Jesus. Uh, this coming of Messiah is a great crescendo. And we're going to meet a man who was waiting for the Messiah in Luke chapter 2. And he's going to teach us a lot about waiting in our own life. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 21. And this is the word of God. Amen. And when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, uh, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male uh, will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Uh, just right here in these first couple of verses, we, we see the protocol for when a child is born. This was a Jewish protocol. When you had a baby, you had to go through certain steps, okay? And so one of the steps was if the baby is a boy, he's to be circumcised on the eighth day. The second step is that the mother is to wait. There's a period called of her period of purification for a total of 40 days before she is then to do the third step, which is to present the child in the temple as a dedication to the Lord. Every, every child dedicated to the Lord, and there they would offer a sacrifice. Okay, so Mary and Joseph were basically fulfilling this requirement that is laid out in Leviticus chapter 12. Some of y'all studied Leviticus uh, not too long ago. Uh, what's interesting here about this is that uh, Leviticus tells us that the sacrifice that's to be offered at the dedication of a child would be a, a small young lamb and either a pigeon or a dove. However, if you were really poor and you couldn't afford a lamb, then just two dove or two pigeon would suffice. And what we learned here is that Jesus' parents only gave the births. What that tells us is that the, the home of Jesus was a very poor place. Mary and Joseph were very poor, common people. Couldn't even afford a little lamb for a, a proper sacrifice. And uh, this is another little kind of clue here. If, uh, a little Bible nerd here. You got a little kind of clue here that this is most likely the dedication of Jesus at the temple comes before the wise men approach Jesus because they bring with them gold, right? So they would have been able to afford a proper sacrifice. But this happens before the coming of the wise men. And so what we, what we see here is that Jesus was in a very poor family. And here they come to offer up their sacrifice, but in a sense, Mary did bring a lamb, didn't she? Jesus was called the Lamb of God, who will ultimately take away the sin of the world. And so here they are, they're bringing their offerings in the temple, 
And look at verse 25. They meet someone there. It says, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now stop right there. This is the only place in the Bible where Simeon appears. Not any other gospel, not any other place in the Bible, only in this spot. Simeon appears here, and and why are we studying him? Why are we going to look at Simeon today? Because Simeon is the one who teaches us how to wait. Now, let me just say this. You're probably waiting on something right now. In fact, right now, you have it in your own mind. What What are we waiting on? Some of you are waiting on a spouse. Some of you are waiting on a child. Some of you are waiting on an opportunity Some of you are waiting on things to change. Some of you are waiting on an apology. Some of you are waiting on reconciliation. Some of you are waiting on your season that you're in to end so you can start something new. Uh, Really, all of life is about waiting, isn't it? I mean, you think about it, you got to wait nine months before you're born. You got to wait 16 years to drive. You got to wait, you know, another 18 years. You got to wait 18 years to vote. You got to, everything's waiting. We're always waiting for the next thing and the next thing. All of life is waiting. And many times we don't like to wait. Uh, But God is teaching us how to wait. And Simeon is going to teach us how to wait, Okay. So I want to give you just some lessons out of Simeon here that, that help us to know how to wait. So uh, if you're taking those down, I want you to write these four things down, okay? Uh, write these four things down. Here's the first thought. Uh, stay faithful. Stay faithful. If you're waiting, stay faithful. Look at, back at verse 25. What do we learn about Simeon? He was, it says there, this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. Now, what do we know about Simeon? He was an old guy. Later on, as we continue reading, you realize he goes, now I can die because I've seen the Messiah. So this guy was old. He was like at the end of his life. Okay, he was in the, in the twilight years. His death approaching. But we also know that he was a righteous man. That is that he obeyed God's law. He was a righteous man, but he was also a devout man. That means not only did he do the right things, but he had a heart for God and a love for God. And so here is Simeon, and he is, he's doing the right thing. He, he loves the Lord, and it looked, and look at it, it says he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. What does that mean? He's looking forward to Israel's consolation. Well, this is a reference to the coming of the Messiah. In fact, I want you to write out in the margin of your Bible. By the way, it's good to write in the margin of your Bible, okay? It's good to underline things, circle things, write in the margin of your Bible. Usually a well-worn Bible is a sign of a well-lived life, okay? So we want your Bible to be good and worn, all right? And so write on the margin of your Bible, right next to that, write Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. This is where this consolation of Israel phrase comes from. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Console my people. Why? Because your waiting time is over. Your Messiah is coming. Later on in that same chapter of Isaiah, he'll say, make way a a room for the Lord's coming. A voice in the wilderness is declaring his coming. And so this is all a picture of Israel. Here is Simeon. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Messiah to come. He's waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah. You know, I had... um, Lunch this week with a couple of other 
uh, pastors in the area with a man named Erez Soroff. Uh, Erez, here's his picture right here. Erez has spoken in our church before, several years ago, and he operates a ministry called One for Israel. And this ministry does a lot of different things. They actually have a Bible college, the only Bible college in the Middle East that has both Jewish and Arab Christians studying side by side, preaching the gospel together. Uh, part of that Part of those pastors go on to plant churches in Israel. Uh, they have several uh, outreaches and they do some uh, aid to those that are impoverished and hurting. And of course, right now with what's happening in Israel, they're very much engaged in disaster relief. But one of the things that they do that is really phenomenal is that they produce these videos and these videos are, are people speaking that are prominent leaders in Israel who have discovered Jesus as their Messiah. And so they're talking about Jesus as their Messiah. These are scientists, these are academic leaders, these are, are business people, they're rabbis that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it's just had incredible impact. In fact, uh, think of it this way, uh, if there are roughly about 15 million Jewish people in the world, there are about 7 million uh, Jewish people in Israel proper Check out, check out the, the expanse of these videos. There have been 1.6 million unique views, uh, viewers, uh, that have watched some of these videos that testify about Jesus. 53 million views in Israel. 262 million views worldwide. I mean, that's a massive number of people who are viewing over and over and over these testimonies about people who have given their life to Christ. And, and Eris told us in this luncheon, he said, quote, today, the messianic identity of Jesus is center stage in the Jewish world. Center stage. Right now, since Pentecost, we're seeing more and more Jewish people coming to realize that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. It's a fascinating time to live. Simeon was one of those guys. He was looking forward to the coming of the consolation of Israel. Now, here's what I want you to know about Simeon on this point. Simeon was a faithful man waiting on the faithfulness of God. He was a faithful man waiting on the faithfulness of God. And this is a good place for us to start our conversation about waiting. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Uh, when you're waiting, let's learn from Simeon, just be faithful. Be a faithful man, a faithful woman that is waiting on God's faithfulness. What does that mean to be faithful? Well, what I mean by that is just be faithful to do what you know God wants you to do. Simeon was obedient. Simeon was devout to the Lord. You can do the same thing. Uh, man, I'm faithful to be in worship. I'm faithful to spend time in God's word. I'm faithful to share my faith. I'm faithful to pray. I'm faithful to do what God tells me to do. You know, I've learned that waiting really reveals what we really believe. It really does. It just reveals what we really believe. There are some people that they're in a waiting period. It's not happening as quickly as they want. And they're like, you know, I'm so done with this, man. I'm tired of waiting. God's not listening. I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. And they go off and they do their own thing. It reveals their own lack of real faith in the Lord. But there are other people that they wait and they wait and they say, you know what? I don't see it happening. I don't understand what's happening, but I'm going to trust what God has said. And they're faithful to do what God has told them to do. And then God proves himself faithful to them. So which one are you? Which one are you? 
So here's my encouragement as your pastor who loves you and you're waiting, just be faithful. Keep putting yourself in a place for God to use you. Keep putting yourself in a place for you to hear from God. Be faithful and God will show his faithfulness to you, okay? So number one, be faithful or stay faithful. Uh, Number two, here's a second thought we learned from Simeon, stay teachable. Stay teachable. Look at verse, the end of verse 25. It says, and the Holy Spirit was on him and he was revealed and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms. Now stop right there. Uh, Second thought I want you to write down is stay teachable. Not just stay faithful, but stay teachable. I want you to notice there that three times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in these couple of verses. Uh, Look at it, maybe underline your Bible. Verse 25, uh, the Holy Spirit was on him. See that? Verse 26, the Holy Spirit is revealing something to him. Verse 27, the Holy Spirit is guiding him. Now that's not by accident that boom, 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 three different times now we're hearing the work of the Holy Spirit. And what that tells us is just by principle, as you're studying the word of God, you're using biblical principles to understand what the Bible means, that quick rapid fire repetition is highlighting for, it's like a light, beep, 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 to tell us something. What is it saying? It's saying that in your waiting time, the Holy Spirit is very active. The Holy Spirit is very active in a season of your waiting time. Now you say, well, well, how is the Holy Spirit active? Well, listen, get this. He's active working on you. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I I didn't say around you. I said working on you, working in, in you. I had a friend of mine uh, not too long ago who sent me a text and he sent me this verse. It was Proverbs 17, three. It says the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And he sent me this uh, proverb and he said, what does this mean? So of course I, I responded to him. I gave a, a pretty lengthy voice text on what this, this verse means. By the way, be careful when you voice text because it may not always say what you think it's going to say or what you said, right? So always double check. Anyway, that's for free. Uh, but I, I, uh, I, I sent him back an explanation. I said, you know, this is really talking about how a silversmith works. He takes the rough silver ore and he crushes it in the crucible. And then he takes that crushed silver and puts it in the furnace. And as the heat turns up, it begins to release its impurities and all the impurities bubble up to the surface. And then the silversmith will scrape off the impurities and he will go through a process of doing this over and over again. And the silversmith knows that it's perfectly pure when he can see his reflection in the silver. And that's really what God is doing in our life. That's what that verse means. God is perfecting us. But here's the deal. Have you ever noticed that in a waiting time, God's really at work? I've noticed this. When I'm waiting on something and I don't see it happening as fast as I want it to happen or on demand like I want, I find a lot of gross stuff bubbles up in me. I find a lot of impatience a lot of frustration, maybe even anger. God, why aren't you doing this? God, why is this not happening in my time? Uh, or maybe it's a no, and I'm, I'm upset about that. Maybe even doubt, maybe even unbelief starts to surface. 
And God is using the waiting period to reveal these things that are in me so that he can take them away and make me more and more like him. Have you ever thought to consider that this waiting period is because God's at work in you? He's doing something in you now? Another thing God does in the waiting is not only release the bad stuff, but he, he spurs on something good. He spurs us to pray. We never pray harder than we're in a waiting season, right? When we're depending on the Lord and we're crying out to God, man, we're praying fervently and, and, and with a whole heart in full dependence on God. That's what God wants from us all the time. But it's usually in the waiting period that we pray like that. And so here's what I want you to understand. There's a reason for your waiting I love what C.S. Lewis, that great writer and thinker said. He said, I am sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for him to wait. Isn't that good? God, God's, not, God's not playing games with you. He's not like, oh, look here, you can have this. Oh, nope, no, you can't. Yeah, here it is, here it is, you can have it. Nope, no, you can't. He's not playing games with you. He's working on you in the waiting He's releasing in the waiting. He's teaching. He's perfecting. He's growing. He's maturing you. So are you teachable? Are you willing to hear? What is, let me ask you something. Just think about it for a minute. What's God teaching you right now? When you're in the waiting period, what is he saying? What's he revealing to you about you? So what do I do when I'm waiting? I'm, I, I, I gotta be faithful. I need to be teachable. God, what, show me. Reveal the stuff in me that you wanna get out. Here's the third thing, uh, jot this down, stay watchful, stay watchful. Look at verse 28, the end of verse 28. And he said, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Underline that phrase, verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. I love what Simeon here is praying. I want you to look at that phrase, my eyes have seen your salvation. This is really personal, isn't it? He goes, I can see you know, God had promised me, and you're going to see the Messiah come before I bring you home. I don't know how God promised that to him. You know, we, I guess we'll ask him when we get to heaven, right? I mean, how'd that work, you know? But he knew that God promised him, you're going to see, your eyes are going to see me before I take you home. And now he says, my eyes are open. This is the testimony of every person that comes to faith in Jesus. There's a time when their eyes are closed and they don't see who he is. And there's a time when their eyes are open. Erez, the man who runs One for Israel. Uh, several years ago, I met him for the first time several years ago. I was actually in Israel. Their office and their school, their Bible college is in uh, Netanya, which is a, a, a suburb of Tel Aviv. And uh, we went out to dinner or we went out to lunch together and we were just kind of sharing our stories. And Erez told me his story of how he came to faith in Christ. He said, I grew up Jewish. He said, I never really heard anything about Jesus. I saw some maybe Catholic churches around, but I didn't, never heard anything about Jesus, never knew anything about Jesus, never read anything about Jesus. I, 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 it was just an empty space for me. 
He said, I finished my schooling. I finished my three-year term in military service. And then he said, I went to travel the world, which is customary in what they do over there. Uh, after service, they save their money and they travel the world. Some go to Peru, some go to Asia, some go to the United States, some go to uh, uh, Europe. And that's what he did. He went to Europe and he was backpacking through Europe. He was staying at a, a, um, uh, a hostel in Amsterdam when he ran across a group of Christians that were backpacking through Europe. And he said, all of a sudden, they're talking about Jesus, 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 and, and how Jesus had changed their life. And what really got his attention was, he, they talked about how they were addicted to drugs and alcohol and all this, all this stuff, and they were living an immoral life. And then all of a sudden, they met Christ, and he changed them completely. And they actually gave him a New Testament. And he was kind of taken back by their story, and it kind of stirred up his interest. So he put a New Testament in his backpack, and a couple of weeks later, he thought to himself, he said, Eris, he said, you're a hypocrite. You read the, the works of Confucius and you read all these other religious writings, but you won't read the New Testament. Why not at least read it so you can say that you've read it? And so he took a deep breath and started reading. And he said, the first thing I noticed when I got to Matthew is that there's a whole list of Jewish people. <laughs> and he said, go figure, Jesus is Jewish. You know, who knew, you know? Jesus is Jewish. And then all the disciples are Jewish. And, they, and this was my hometown. They're talking about Galilee and Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee. Everything is what I know. This is how I grew up. And he just could not stop reading. And over the course of time, he came to really believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He said, my eyes were closed. And then suddenly, my eyes were open. Let me ask you something. Are your eyes closed? Or have your eyes been opened to really who Jesus is? That's the testimony of every person that comes to faith. Is to open your eyes to Jesus. Maybe you're here today. And right now, he's opening your eyes. Maybe you're here today and through the course of this message, the Holy Spirit's revealing who Jesus is and, and, and that he is the Messiah. He's the one who died for you. That's the moment where you step forward in faith. So if you're in the waiting period, don't always just stay faithful to God. Not only do you say teachable to what the Holy Spirit's working in you, but also watch for what he is revealing about himself to you. What is God teaching you about him? What are, what, are you, what are you seeing? What is he revealing about who he is? His character, his nature, who he is. And as you're in the word of God, even in that waiting period, he's gonna reveal who he is to you. You know, if I were to take you right now, I said, okay, let's stop. Let's get in the car, go over to my house. I could take you into the office in my house and I have two bookshelves there that were made by a good friend of mine back when I was in college. And I've got several books stuck in there. But I've got two or three rows that are filled with journals. Now, these journals go all the way back from 30 years, okay, of journals. And I, and I, could, I could pull out a journal from uh, 1996. I could pull out a journal from 2002. I could pull out, I mean, I could just pull out a journal. And, and here's what you would find consistently if you read through my journals, what you would read is that God was doing the most revealing of his character and nature to me in the hardest seasons of my life. In the waiting seasons. In the hard seasons. When I'm crying out to God to move. When I don't understand. Those are the seasons when God is showing up. Now listen, God wants to show up in your life 
But you've got to open your eyes to see him. You have to open up your eyes. God, show me. And I, by the way, just a little side uh, uh, encouragement to you. I encourage that you spend time in God's word in your waiting season and write down the character of God. God, what are you showing me who you are? Show me your character. Show me your attributes. Show me how you're at work. Because God is teaching you the most about himself in these seasons of your life. So how do I wait? Well, I've got to be faithful to do what I know to do. I've got to be teachable to what he's revealing about my own issues and problems and, and, and need to confess. I've got to, I've got to be watchful for how God is revealing himself. And then here lastly, stay hopeful. Stay hopeful. Look at verse 33. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told the mother Mary, indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. They said they were amazed. They were shocked. <laughs> what is happening and you would be shocked too, right? If some stranger comes up and says, oh God, you know, I've seen him and then starts to say all these things about Jesus. What was he saying? Well, he said a couple of things right here in these few verses. One, he said, this Jesus will be divisive. It will, he will cause the rise and the fall of many. Many will oppose him. You know, Jesus is still divisive. Uh, in one for Israel, he said uh, their ministry, getting the gospel out is still opposed to this day. The gospel is opposed everywhere we plant churches all over the world. It's even opposed right here and right now. Hey, you just go to your office and instead of saying happy holidays or Merry Christmas, just say happy birth of Jesus really loud and see what happens. Hey, we, you know, knock down the Jesus talk, all right? Let's just keep it general, right? He said Jesus will be divisive. But it also says here of what he came to do. He mentions that Jesus will suffer. Notice he says here, a sword will pierce your own soul. That's a reference to the cross and Mary's own personal grief over the cross. In 1497, a young artist, emerging artist named Michelangelo was given a directive from a French cardinal, Catholic cardinal. And the directive was to create a piece in marble that would be unmatched, unable to be improved upon. So Michelangelo went about his work and he chose as his image the picture of Mary holding Jesus after the crucifixion. Uh, this piece is called the Pietà. And it still is, resides in Rome today. And of course, many artists study this piece for just its, its genius and the way that it's constructed. But just looking at it at face value, it shows Mary holding her son after the cross. I think this may have been the image in Simeon's mind as she was holding him as a baby he could foresee that one day she would hold him after he died. And why would Jesus have to die? 
Well, Simeon tells us, he says, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You see, the cross is where everything gets exposed. Everything is exposed at the cross. At the cross, our sin is exposed. The Bible says that we are far from God. We've sinned against God. We've gone our own way. And the judgment of God is upon us because of our sin. I can't change that. I can't fix that. I'm a sinner by nature and by choice. And I deserve judgment because of that. There's a holy God that stands that every one of us are going to give an account of our life before this God. And we are sinners outright. And, and because of that, the judgment of God is on us. But yet God loved us so much that he chose not to pour out his judgment on us who deserve it. But he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And he was born in a major, but he went to a cross. And on the cross, all of your sin was put on the back of innocent Jesus. And he died, that lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He died in your place, a sacrificial lamb. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to the Father. He's coming again soon. That's the heart of the gospel. And so Jesus and the cross is a centerpiece of the gospel. You know, it's, it's fascinating that this piece by Michelangelo, he said he chose one massive block of marble to carve it out of. It's one stone that he carved out that piece and the Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the stone that some people reject, but it is a cornerstone of the gospel. Listen, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? You can't say, well, he's a good person because he didn't claim just to be a good person. He claimed to be God's son. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to accept him and say, yes, he really is who he claimed to be. My eyes are open. I'm going to worship him and follow him. Or are you going to say, you know, I'm just going to reject him. You got to do one or the other. And that's what Simeon was saying. Jesus came to make a way for us to be reconciled to God. But you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Listen. Our hope is in Jesus. <laughs> Our hope is in Jesus. Christians are the most hopeful people in the world because our hope is in Christ. And whatever that thing you're waiting on, whatever it is, that person, that thing, that event, that achievement, whatever that thing is that you just, you're waiting, waiting, waiting on, that thing, whatever it is, can never really be your hope. Your hope is only in Christ. So set your hope on him. We've been talking about crescendo, right? This building, the coming of Jesus was a long crescendo. But it reminds us that God uses waiting in our life. And that we wait well when we are faithful to God, knowing that God is always faithful. We wait well when we are teachable to what God's showing us about ourselves. We wait well when we are watching to see how God is revealing himself to us. But we wait well when we put our hope not in the things of this temporal life, but we put our hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. Listen, maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ by faith. Maybe you've heard, you just heard the gospel. You have a choice to make. 
And I want to give you an opportunity right now to receive Christ. Maybe uh, even now you're convicted of your own sin. Maybe even now you realize why Christ came. Maybe now you realize that you need Jesus to forgive you and wash you clean. That I want to give you an opportunity right now, right where you are, to say yes to him. In fact, you're just with your heads bowed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need Christ in my life. I want to be right with God. I, I, want, I, I don't want to leave here unsure of where I'll spend eternity. I want, to, I want to leave here knowing that I'm right with the Lord. Pastor, I want Christ in my life. Just with your heads bowed, I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand. I'm not going to call you out in any way, but it lets me know that God's at work in your own heart and I will just lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. So just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. All right? Lift it up where I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. I know that I need the Lord. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Lift it up where I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. Okay, put your hand down. Just pray with me right where you are. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. Lord, I know I've gone my own way. And I've lost my way. But I believe Jesus died on a cross for me. I believe he rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Please make me new. Today I choose to follow you, Lord. And thank you, God, for your great mercy. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. God, you're so faithful in every way. Even when I've been unfaithful, God, you are faithful. Thank you, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name.